Hi everyone, welcome to the Same Kit Different Day podcast. I'm Doug Mealy, your host, and I've got the CEO of PPSS Group here today, Robert Kaiser. Robert, how are you? I'm all right. Thank you for calling. I really appreciate this. Oh, you're welcome. So, Robert, if you could tell us, we, we met some years ago now uh, when you had the Lone Worker Safety Conference, and I used to attend, and then you were good enough to get me along as a speaker, which, to be honest, it's it springboarded my career a bit. So thank you for right. that. Well, you were coming. It must be like oh, seven, eight, nine years ago or thereabout. Yes, that's right. Yeah, good, good few years ago now. So for the benefit of our listeners, could you tell us a little bit about how you ended up uh, with PPSS Group and sort of a little bit of a CV as to sort of where you started and where you are now? Yeah, I came over in uh, I came to the UK in 1999 uh, and I worked for the German government before. I uh, yeah. came over here in 1999, um, set up um, a private security company at the reasonably early stages. Um, initial for the first three and a half, four years, we were purely doing a consultancy work for women's aid, rape crisis centers, domestic violence projects, and yes. overseas uh, organizations to deal with this kind of subject matter. And uh, we helped uh, women to recover passports, birth certificates, uh, access to bank accounts to enable them to, to, to start again. And Brilliant. Then I continued with the security industry for a while, and, and ultimately there was a major incident where someone um, got shot and got killed, and it was for me a bit of a wake-up call to say time is enough, time has come to pack it in. And yes. uh, more or less uh, 11 years ago, they are about to be set up what is known now as PPSS Group. And PPSS Group are specialists. Well, do you want to tell us a bit about what PPSS do? I obviously know them as supplying amazing protective equipment. Yeah, well, what, what, what we have specialised ourselves in really is, is in in anything which has to do with the protection, primarily really from edge weapon, and that means really um, anything from razor blades to any kind of blades, knives, machetes, yeah. axes, uh, whatever that may be, and. Um, yeah, we talk about uh, staff-resistant vests, uh, slash-resistant clothing, but we sort of moved away completely from from the ballistic vest and bulletproof vest purely because we could clearly identify a real shift in operational risks and threats in, 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 yes. in Europe in terms of terrorism. It's easier for them to organize and sell and buy knives than... No, importing, exporting, selling, transporting, whatever, firearms. It's, it's, it's a nightmare for them. They would probably get picked up by some sort of intelligence agency or law enforcement way before they commit any kind of major assault. So we know now that, that law enforcement or any Homeland Security agency in Europe um, has got way more problems now dealing with people carrying knives. And hence, we sort of specialized ourselves in the field. And, and now we're supplying, obviously, home home countless of Holland uh, security agencies around the world, private security sectors, um, COVID oper- no, operatives, uh, surveillance teams, counterterrorism officers, etc., etc. Brilliant. Excellent. Now, just before we move on to talk about the uh, the, the stab vest, yeah. one of the things that amazed me when I met you was about the ballistic testing. Now, I know you, you test all of your own products, but you also you tested your own bulletproof vests back in the day, didn't you? 
Yeah, it must, it must be like seven, eight years ago thereabouts when uh, I think there's so many companies around the world who can talk and talk as long as much as they want. But I always believe yes. there's a difference in, from, from being a man point of view, never mind as a human being. There's a difference yeah. between walking and talking the talk and walking the walk. So um, when we designed with at that time was uh, the thinnest or lightest bulletproof vest on the planet, people looked at it and thought, That's, that can't be for real. And I thought, okay, the moment I feel like anybody's questioning our integrity or the quality, whatever yes. whatever we say, I said, okay, let's, 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 let's talk the talk again. And then ultimately I got shot by a Glock 17 uh, with a 9mm firing, a 9mm parabellum round flying at 420 meters a second from 10 feet distance. <laughs> And the rest is history, actually, you know what I mean? You say it so casually. Which uh, well, which country did you have to do that in? Well, we, we couldn't do it in the UK because obviously health and safety is a bit of an issue here, I yes. guess. So most of the videos we produce, we go overseas. And it can vary. I think then I got shot. We did it in Sweden, so in Scandinavia. And we just had a bit more, I don't know, it was a bit more easier to do it there. So, yeah, yeah most of the videos we do or we produce, we prefer to do it outside the UK, I mean. Brilliant. And the person shooting you, you gave them strict instructions as to where to shoot. Sort of. So if so, if something did go wrong, it was between the organs. Is that right? Well, but there was two things. Well, first of all, in the video that it's obviously nah, it's been viewed by um, millions of times. I think the key was uh, there's a lady coming into the screen, and she was in charge of uh, blunt force trauma injuries of the armed forces yes. in Sweden, and she made it up to compulsory. But I had to be, you know, had, had an IV in my wrist already just in case there is any issue. And uh, but we were sort of maybe just, you know, extensive medical advice. We've all been told if, if there is, you know, one preferred area, if at all, then it will be about one inch away from the navel. And the, and the reason is, A, because every human being will carry the highest level of body fat most likely around that area, but also there's no organ behind it. So no. if there is any kind of blunt force trauma injury, there would be no liver or no kidney that could burst and subsequently lead to internal injuries, shock, death, etc., etc. You know what I mean? Wow. So it's that, and and uh, I have to ask you this: it still hurt though, didn't it? I've seen your expression on the video, and you managed to get those words out, but it must have hurt like hell. Well, yeah, man. I, mean, I still got a scar, so it's not, not a scar from the wrong going through. It was just more a scar yes. because the material we were using was it was ultimately let's go in, in simple terms a high-performance plastic, so actually the energy absorption of, 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 of the bullet turning to a mushroom, kinetic energy, yeah. was, uh, creates such a heat that the, the body, um, in a way, pl uh, the plastic ultimately uh, melted to a reasonable level and actually connected to my skin, to the nerves and to the screen, actually, actually sort yeah. of you know, pulled the body away from my skin, hence I've got the, still got the, uh, the scar. But... Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, the pain clearly was, was severe. Anybody, there's nothing, I would never deny it. But I always say, like, in a real scenario, if there would be a real incident and somebody would not open yes. fire, I think the adrenaline would allow me within three, four, five seconds to return fire. That's the key, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah, and it's not just that. I mean, the ballistic products that have that have saved lives. Your your kit have saved lives all over the world, haven't they? Well, yeah, I'm absolutely, there's no question about that. I mean, we probably, I don't know, it's difficult to, to quantify it, but probably once a week we get some sort of a thank you message or a letter or a testimonial wow. reference from somewhere around the world. It could literally be, you know, a Homeland Security Agency. It could literally be a private security guard. It could be anyone, really, a prison officer or a police officer. Then where they tell us a story that, no, that, yeah, 
nobody has you know, saved a life. We have received a letter from the you know, from the wife of an operator of an operator yeah. saying, Listen, your body has saved my husband's life and but that they they're the things that sort of drive us. Uh clearly yeah. we have to make money, there's no reason there's no question about it. We have to make money, we have to pay the bills and we are all money driven and that's fine, there's no, nothing wrong with that. But I think the yeah. difference between our business and, and, and others, I do think that my employees and our directors, we all are, yeah, I would say generally good human beings in terms of our attention generally is to save lives. So question about And the money most of the time becomes secondary, I guess. Yeah, I agree. And I think that it's testimony how many years you've been around yeah. and the reputation you've achieved. We could all, I mean, I supply soft restraint equipment products and the same yeah. as you, we could source our equipment very cheaply. Yeah. We could get very cheap labor and we could make a lot of money in a short amount of time. But yeah. then if people are contacting us saying they've gone wrong or they're not happy with the product, it's worthless, isn't it? Yeah, but there's more to life. There's more to life than making money. As I said, no, 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 the go at night. There's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with paying a mortgage. There's nothing wrong with driving a nice car and going on holiday a few times a year. There's nothing wrong with any of that. The question is always, how do you make that money? Now, if you do, if you make yeah. that money by doing people over or supplying them an inferior product, or if you if you if you make claims that actually are incorrect, morally, legally, for whatever it is, then it's wrong. But if you make money by being good at what you do. Like kudos. Why not? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So for, for for our listeners, I wonder if you could tell us a bit about the PPE in general and the yeah. legalities around it and sort of why why should people invest in it? Because you've got some places that don't invest in PPE and you've got others that do. Yeah, I'm not a legal expert. No, no, I will, no, I will, I'm not, I'm not, I can't go into legal, giving legal advice. Yeah. But for us, it's... For us, it's always like, the way we see what we do is very simple in terms of, now, from the legal point of view, as far as, far as I would like to go, is if, if you've identified a risk, clearly you have to do something yeah. about it. It's as simple as it gets. You can't say, that if, 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 if a doorman goes to his security, to, to his, to his managing director of a security company saying, hang on, I, I, I'm, I'm worried I might get stabbed. When mentioned director says, well, I, I don't care, then there is a legal issue. The same is in the prison environment, as a police officer, it doesn't matter where you are, if you're an officer or an operative or whatever you are, a guard, they tell you superior that you see a danger, your life is at risk, or you face any kind of violence and you express yourself towards a superior and they don't do anything about it, it's a real legal issue. So, and ultimately, that's where PPE comes in. If, if a risk has been identified, it needs, it needs mitigating. And I'm not saying body armor is always the number one solution. Of course, I'm not saying that. Now, as much as I would like to say it, I would never go there because clearly conflict management is important. I mean, you know, good communication is important. Avoiding the risk is important. You know, withdrawing yourself can be an option. But sometimes, and in many, many cases, that's not an option. You can't be a police officer and not enforce the law. You can't be a doorman and let anyone walk past you. It just doesn't work like that. So sometimes you have to stand up and make a stand and deal with whatever violence no society throws at you. Now, if that happens, it clears a no-brainer that those who have chosen or been issued with PPE have got a higher chance of survival. And that is what it's yeah. all about. But to, 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 go beyond, to go beyond it, I always say to all, you know, even if I don't deal with sales, part of a business as such, but I always used to say to our international clients, listen, Depends how much you really you know cherish and appreciate life of your employees. If you don't care, then don't give them yeah. PPE. If you don't care, don't give them body armor. 
if you actually care about the health and safety of your staff because you like them, because you feel you want to be express some loyalty towards them, because you know they'd be good to you, it doesn't matter what it is. Well, then clearly any kind of PPE, it's, it's a good thing. It's a no-brain. It's a good thing. You're doing something good. You're increasing their chance of coming home safely to the wife and kids. That, that clearly, that's a great incentive to look into it, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's. I get what you're saying about it showing that an employer cares about their yeah. their employees. The other thing I'd say is it's kind of like let's because there's a lot of dangerous jobs out there. Let's say walking a tightrope or climbing a mountain with um with a safety safety harness. Yeah. Part of the confidence you've got of doing that activity is because you know that safety harness is there. Now I'm not saying it should be a false sense of security, but it might make people act more confidently in their jobs. If they know, look, worst case scenario, if something does go wrong, at least I've got this protection against the residual risk, haven't I? Yeah. I think the way I see it, you can see the glass has full of empty sometimes. And I'm very honest about this too. I do believe when we deal with, no, supplying body armor to our international clients. I do. I always say to them, listen, there are two breeds breed of human beings. Now, one of them is you give them body armor and they're like, what the hell is going on? Why am I giving a body armor? What does my employer know that I don't know? What is, <laughs> is, is he planning to throw me into an environment I know I'm not going to feel comfortable about? Are they out? <laughs> Uh, have they any kind of access to any kind of intelligence that they're not sharing with me? So they're the, yes. they're, they're the kind of more paranoid category. But then you've got the other category also who think, oh, they get body armor and they feel like they're James Bond and Rumble one person and they can take on yes. the world. So for me, it's always crucial that anyone issuing body armor, never mind us producing them, but anyone issuing body armor to the workforce, it has to come, in my opinion, always with training. Because you don't know what yes. category that person you're facing is dealing with, what category they belong to. You need to tell them why you give them the body armor. If you don't do it, you leave it up to, to, up to their imagination, you will not get the best out of the performance. That's for sure. No, I completely agree with that. So the one of the things I was really impressed with was the range of slash-proof gear that you've got. Yeah. Now, I've seen that you've got... Um, a slash proof that goes up around the neck. Was there any particular reason or any um, examples of where people have been attacked before that made you get involved with doing that slash protection around the throat? But we, most of the most of the things we do is always based on it's also what we call intelligence led in a way. But we yes. we don't design garments purely because it looks sexy or cool. Or whatever. It's not really what we do. I think there are no. probably other companies who prefer to design garments. Based on uh, looks like streetwear, it's cool. It's probably yes. our market. Our market is more like an you know, operational need-driven rather than than what looks cool. So, because our client base is literally all over the world, so we we got a lot of you now inquiries uh, from Israel, for example, where a Palestinian terrorists, for example, literally sometimes yeah. talk about women in the 60s or 70s. So we don't talk about you know, street crime here. No, I don't know walking towards you know, an Israeli police officer or walking towards Israeli uh, uh, a soldier, for example, in the very, very last second, now pulling a machete or a Stanley knife or, or a kitchen knife out and attacking the soldier's throat. So the same in prison environments. I mean, there's always a throat is always clear because of the main artery, key artery being now being based in your, in, in your neck. I think the, the consequences, if you are getting attacked there, the, the chance of that being literally your last moment is, is reasonably high, you think? So that's one thing you can, you don't have to protect everything around your body, but I think the throat, in my opinion, is something 
yeah, I think it's, 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 uh, one second. it's quite important. But I also think that the, risk, the worst case scenario no, is quite severe, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree completely with that. So with the current lockdown situation, how, how's your business um, managing? Is it business as usual for you a lot? Have sales gone up or down? Uh, I think of a reason, it, it, it again varies from country to country. Um, and in the UK, we could clearly see over the last few weeks that I think we expected you know, a major downturn in sales in the UK. But having said that, within the security industry, I don't think a lot has changed because ultimately, no. you've got, there's literally tens now having, you know, having a, uh, you know, a security, supermarkets have got security on, et cetera, et cetera. So I think a lot of security companies actually have grown and expand, no, expanded during the time. Uh, it doesn't mean for every. It, it doesn't mean for every, every every security company is the same. Of course not. But I do believe you know that security will become more and more important in this country. Yeah, I th- I I agree. I think so. And I think as as certain services are privatized and we see security doing the jobs of what I used to see police doing a while ago. I was just talking to someone about custody today. Um, if the police were in those job roles, they would have PPE. They would have risk reduction measures in the form yeah. of batons and sprays and things. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of security companies out there that take these roles on and just and just don't don't do it. Do you think they're running the risk of prosecution? Well, I think it's a question of time. There's no, there's no doubt about it. It's a question of time until you see managing directors of security companies having to, having to argue their stand on PPE and personal safety in general uh, in a court of law. There's no question about that. It's going to happen. I think if you look at America, I mean, if you don't look after your workforce you know, you, and something goes wrong, you've got to get sued into hundreds of thousands, into millions potentially. And yes. we are living in society, rightly, wrongly, irrelevant right now, but rightly, wrongly, we're living in society in the UK where this becomes more and more common practice. And at some point, you know, more and more security companies will be sued for not having taken appropriate action. But the same you can say about the prison service. I mean, that's much more a fun in my eye, to be honest, than the private security yeah. industry. Because if you think, if, if you've got a real serious criminal being arrested, You've got three, four police vans with teams of eight, nine, twelve police officers, K9 units, and, and, and a chopper in the air, uh, no, yeah. all part of the operation until this major criminal gets arrested. But the moment they put them into to the prison and they shut the door, for whatever reason, they must believe he's turning into an angel because guess what? The same, very same guys, or the, the guys yeah. who look at the very same criminal, are not allowed to wear PPE. That blows my mind. Yeah, same with me. I do a lot of work with psychiatric hospitals. Yeah, exactly. And you've got some, yeah, someone who's tasered and then they're cuffed and then they say, hang on, this person is unwell. So they're not a criminal, they're, they're unwell. So we yeah. have to go into a forensic hospital or a psychiatric hospital. Yeah. Well, the level of danger that person expresses yeah. isn't any different just because they're in a different room, is it? Absolutely. And, and that's why I don't, and that's why I think. I hope this will change. At the moment, yes, you talk about homeland security agencies like police, border force, immigration, customs. Yes, they all wear body armor, and because they're all, and, and most of them hardly will ever get into this kind of real high-risk environment. If you look at uh, airport, when you go from airport, you go through passport control, you see border force. They, you know, they check your passport. They're all wearing body armor. The chance of, of a major incident happening in that there, surrounded by a dozen other border, border, border force officers, is very small. A prison officer yeah. is going to in his white suit shirt going to work dealing with mass murderers, murderers every day. 
and he's yeah. going to give any PP for me. That doesn't make sense at all. It's a matter, it's a matter of how no. people argue that it's just not a good idea. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, it does. And I think sometimes it's perception. People say, oh, we can't have them dressed like this because the public will perceive them as being aggressive. But body armour doesn't have to look aggressive or police style, does it? It can be in different colours. Yeah, first of all, that will be our responsibility from the manufacturer. We can make it in, in, in pink and orange and yellow, blue, whatever people's favourite colours are. We can yes. do all of them. But, but the main argument, when the first body armour were issued in the UK in the sort of late 70s in, you know, in, in, of London and then ultimately in Manchester, now everybody was arguing the same thing. But there's no physical evidence at all suggesting that the moment the first police officers were issued with body armour in London or Manchester, that the assault rate on police officers increased. So that didn't happen. No. There's nothing. It's just people's belief. They think and they believe that there's no physical evidence in, in, you know, in place to research that is the case. There's nothing suggesting that if you give, give every police officer or every police officer body armour right now, that the assault rate on them will increase. There's, nothing, there's no evidence for that at all. It's just people making that up. Yeah. And it's got to be an evidence-driven approach. And like you say, people might want to just create something or wear something because, it, I mean, the, the, the rise and rise for me of the security um, officer's belt, it's like, what have you got on your belt? You've got, you've got gloves, yeah. you've got this, you've got a flashlight. Like, you know, does that belt, be, is it the most effective way of doing it? Surely you can put some of those components on a stab vest in more strategic places. So yeah. I completely, it's like a bat utility belt that's completely useless. Um, like, you know, putting holsters in different places and things like that. Now, one of the other things I want to talk to you yeah. about is it's not just corrections and security. Your range of bike pro equipment, where where else might you find those uh, garments? Oh, again, because we've of, of got such an international market we're sort of dealing with. And so the, 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 the mental health care sector, I mean, the mental health means literally it's such a, it's such a wide um, terminology for such a large market. And yes. So we talk about, no, as you already said, we're supplying the majority of uh, high secure hospitals. So it means like, you know, like you've got Ashworth, Broadmoor, Rumpton, whatever they are yes. at the end. But the, they exist all over the world. Uh, they might have different names, but also they exist everywhere. Uh, but then you go into like any private mental health care. There are so many organizations in the UK and again overseas, uh, private mental health care facilities. Uh, where individuals are now, now uh, receiving 24-7 care. And uh, some of them are dangerous, some of them are not at all. So they're not, they, they're not dangerous because they're bad human beings. Of course not. Nobody's even saying no. that. But it doesn't mean that they don't bite, for example. And that's what they do. And the same, you've got in special education needs schools. People hate yes. that. And, I, and I, it's such a sensitive subject. And I really, really get it. I generally get it from the bottom of my heart. I get it. But the fact is... We are on the receiving end from letters literally every week, every fortnight, from teachers around the world saying, oh, I got bitten again. And the images, the photographs we have of injuries are horrendous. Well, we have got images of, literally, of children literally biting not just the skin, but actually taking ligament and muscle out of a forearm. They're absolutely horrendous. So it doesn't mean the child's a bad child. Again, nobody's saying that. It's, it's a completely different subject anyway. But you can't argue that this teacher hasn't got the right to do her job as safely as she or he can be. Now, I can do it. So is there something to help them to engage the child in the same fashion and, 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 and deliver the great service they're providing anyway? That's fine. But they must have the right to do it as safely as they can possibly do it. If we can help them, then great. Yeah. 
and it's and it's for for me it's for the residual risk so it's not a pr- yeah. it's not a primary thing no i agree if we were that sure as we walked in the room they were going to bite us the answer would be don't go in the room or use some kind of a partition but at some point these people that we've locked up that we're trying to get better you're gonna to have to get them to take part in meaningful activities yeah. so they're going to need to interact with others they might need to eat with others or travel yeah. and to write a risk assessment without w- w- without some kind of PPE or protection, it's madness because it's if it's happened before, the likelihood is it could happen again. Yeah. And and I don't know about your experience of this. I think sometimes people say, "Oh, well, we'll just keep them in the room because every time we take them out, they try and assault somebody." Well, with some form of soft restraints or handcuffs, and then as a backup in case it goes wrong, some form of bite-resistant clothing. For me, there's no reason why anyone should be in long-term segregation from others for years on end. I agree. Anything that can be done. And it's not just about my business. I feel the same way about any other business doing any kind of protective clothing or whatever that may be. It's, yeah. it's, it's anything that can help people to go to work and, 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 and make, you know, make an honest living by, by working hard and, 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 and providing for the family and the loved ones. Well, these people have got the right to be safe and to come home safely. And sometimes, yes. you know, maybe it's nothing they can do. It may well be the case, not that I can think of any, of any kind of example. But as long as there's something that can be done, either in their own, in their own action they take or by, the, by controlling or uh, by controlling the, the action of, of, of the patient or a service user or the member of the public, whoever it is, Anything can be done to, for people to be safe at work. I think it, 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 it needs to be done. It doesn't mean you need to you know, rub people into bubble rub. I've never been, I've personally never been a health and safety fan. I, I like children to grow up yeah. being children, and I like that people do the thing. And, and, and sometimes people take risks. It's a part of upbringing and it's part of society, I guess. But if people go to work, uh, I do believe that they've got the right to be safe. That's simple to me. Yes, definitely. Well, Robert, it's been absolutely great having you on. I just wanted to literally get your views on PPE and talk to you about those things. Have you got anything else planned for the rest of the day? Uh, no, not too much. Catch up with a little bit of work. But otherwise, uh, maybe, maybe, if you're lucky, enjoy a little bit of sunshine at the end. We'll see. Excellent. Brilliant. Well, it's been great talking to you, and I'm sure we'll catch up soon, Robert. Excellent. Take care of yourself, and I'll catch you through. Okay, bye-bye. You too. Thanks. Bye.